There is an awesome running community in Chicago, and every year we get to witness it at the Chicago Marathon. You see 40,000 people go out there, and they run from two hours to five hours. And it doesn't matter how long it takes them. Everybody put in the work to get there. And so those are the people who are out there week after week, six months out of the year, and they have their clubs and they have their groups. I think the problem is there isn't one place where they can all come together. Welcome to Deeper Dish. Welcome back to Deeper Dish for all of our loyal listeners and for anyone new. Welcome to Deeper Dish. This is Hank and Farah. This week we have Colleen and she's talking to us about elite running in Chicago. She has over 25 years in the game, so to speak. She talks about her time starting in grade school all the way through her post-collegiate career, which she's currently still active. She qualified for the U.S. Olympic trials in the 800-meter event, and she's just an overall great person. We were fortunate enough to have her bring all of her energy and her wittiness and her humor to our show. I hope you guys really, really enjoy this. On average, your times in certain events, where what percentile would that put you in the country? Uh, it just depended on what, what, you know, what age I was, but I was you know, one of those kids who like ran nationals as a teenager mm-hmm. and was all state in high school. And in college, I really underperformed. But post collegiate, when I was running, yeah. I was probably top 20 in the US overall. There were only maybe 18 or 19 people in the country. Women. Yeah. Women mm-hmm. that were faster, that were faster than you. Yeah. On any given oh, yeah, day. That's, that's, that's a level. That's, that's a pretty high level. <laughs> so semi-pro runner i'm gonna call you an elite runner you're okay. an elite runner Great. have been an elite runner for many years started in high school and i wanted to really pick your brain and kind of get your perspective on the chicago area running scene not only now but kind of how it's grown and, and what it was like for you running in oak park and then after that going on to college at loyola and then after loyola what you did after that and all the decisions you made to become a runner. So I guess where we can start is what got you into running to begin with? Uh, 11, 12 years old, I was playing basketball and I was at the Y in Oak Park. They have a great basketball program and it's actually co-ed and I was doing sprints Mm -hmm. and beating all the boys. And so my coach at the time said to my mom when she came to pick me up that night, your daughter needs to be in track. Here's a guy who has a track club. They operate out of Proviso West in the winter, and they operate out of Niles, I believe, West in Skokie in the summer. And so she hadn't really had that on her radar at all. She wouldn't have known who to contact if he wouldn't have given her that phone number. So you're talking about going from Oak Park to Proviso West is in Bellwood or Hillside? Hillside, yeah. And then Satellite? In Skokie? Yeah, and then actually we also were doing like fall cross-country stuff. We would run in, uh, oh gosh, part of the city that people now live in that nobody used to live in before. Right by the river, we used to run laps around this park. My mom said like at night when it would start to get dark, she would worry if I was going to come back because it was kind of like a dangerous neighborhood in Chicago at the time. And so So she would actually time me on her wristwatch that was not a running watch. And she'd be like, okay, it normally takes her like four minutes to get around. Like, so that's she, how she'd keep track of you, and you'd have better times. She'd like make sure I was coming back. Yeah, you came wow. back with you shaved off three seconds from your return. Is it because you were scared or wow. because you were faster? Yeah, and you were doing this just with your mom, wasn't with the team. No, the team was there, the team but was you know there. it was like you run, you start together, but then you only run as fast as you can on your own, basically. Right, right, so right. whether you might be with a group, you might be in between groups yeah. on your own at the back. So, so even at that young age. Were there people in Oak Park that you were running with, or was it just a collection of folks from all over? No, it was actually great. I mean, I met, I was playing basketball on my grade school team in Oak Park, and I was also playing volleyball, but they did not have a track or cross country program. So I Mm -hmm. joined this private 
program and I met a ton of people from LaGrange and Chicago and all over Willow Springs. So tons of suburbanites, tons of Chicagoans, and we all came together. There were probably, I mean, a hundred of us who would meet for practice anywhere from seven, eight-year-olds up to 18-year-olds. So we ran, I ran with them from the time I was in sixth grade until I finished high school. I mean, I'm assuming that there are some people that were, that you ran with at such a young age that you competed against them in high school as well. Yeah, really, really fun. So it's kind of like the usual suspects, you know? Yeah. Even, um... So it was like a running scene. Like, oh yeah, I remember, I've been running next to this one for years. Yeah, I mean, and it really went from that grade school team to then like you said even in high school we were in the same conference and competed against each other college i would run into people like i'd go run in boston in college and see a girl who i used to run with as a 12 year old hey katie do you remember me okay so like let's talk about your experience in high school and the places that you ran in high school like i went to obviously i went to oak park too there's a track but there's a portion of what you're doing is cross country i have no clue where you all were running like, where were you all going to run to practice for these cross-country meets? Oh, man, you're taking me way back. I got to really... You're not that old. ...key the memory here. In high school, our home cross-country course started off over by Loyola's Maywood Medical Campus, and then it actually moved north to yep. Irving Park to Schiller, Schiller okay. Woods. Um, Irving Park and... Yeah, Was, so you didn't, you didn't do Thatcher? We did not do Thatcher. We would go run workouts at Thatcher every once in a while. Okay. But we did a lot of stuff on the streets. Like we would have, you know, courses mm-hmm. all over Oak Park on the on the streets. And our coach would just tell us to run on the grass to prepare our legs and not get hurt, pounding on the pavement. But we would also go to like Taylor Park and run run circles around there, Lindbergh Park. We definitely took advantage of running on grassy areas when we could. But for competing, obviously, you go to whichever high school is yeah. hosting the meet. So you have to have a high school that has space. So generally, we were out in the western suburbs. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is there a place that you really enjoy running? I have really fond memories of running at Schiller Park. I still remind my family of this every time we drive by. I had the course record. And, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's, all, it's all about what you a being first. memory being in first place. <laughs> <laughs> The fastest first place ever. Well, it was great, too, because then later they changed the distance that girls ran in high school. So it forever stayed the course record for 2.1 miles. When I was in high school, we ran anywhere from like 1.7 miles, usually two miles. And then the state meet was 2.1 miles. But now I believe that the girls run 2.5. So because they extended it, your record is solidified. That's right. Forever. Forever and ever and ever, ever, so, ever. So you you're gonna forever have a record. Yeah, Is every your time name on a plaque there or anything. Oh, that would be a great birthday present. <laughs> <laughs> you're like one of the happiest people I know. You're always giggling and laughing, but I can definitely tell when we're talking about running. You have a different personality. So is. pick a sport, any I sport. I must break you. But where's your persona? It's funny because I don't have that confidence on race day. Yeah. So I don't think I exude that on race day. I think in talking about running, I feel confident talking about it. Okay. Right before they fire the gun, do you mean to say you you have self doubt in those moments until you hit the ground running? Is that that's that's not that was not a pun. That's legit. But straight up, I mean, like if 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 your character is not as exuberant as you are in these talks, where is your mindset right before? Yeah, and then I mean, when it, do you take full transformation? I think that a lot of it comes in the struggle. I mean. When you put my athlete mind up against someone who has had more success at a higher level mm-hmm. or against me, I definitely doubt myself more mm-hmm. during the race probably mm-hmm. than I do before. But mm-hmm. I mean, I know who I'm up against and I obviously towed the line. So I wanted to race them. But I think I, it's definitely like mm-hmm. that hardening of the mental toughness that I just I don't have. Is there a certain school that just was your rivalry? 
We had a really fun rivalry with St. Charles High School. Really? That's way out there. They would come to our home invitational, Mm -hmm. and then we would usually race them one other time at a dual meet throughout the year, and then we would see them at sectionals. And they were always the hardest team to beat at sectionals. Mm -hmm. I actually ended up running with one of their women in college. She was my freshman in college roommate, Carrie. They were consistently making it to state as a team, and, and that's a very hard thing to do. You have to be one of the top 30 teams in the state to make it. In our neck of the woods alone, usually five or six schools from around the suburban area here would be top in the state. So they were they were very good year after year. They had something called the ugly stick. And they literally had decorated this rain stick that they would carry up with them. Every time they would go get an award, they would like hand it off to the next teammate as kind of like I don't know, it was it seemed sort of like rubbing it in people's faces a little bit. So I made this plan with my team and I said, you guys, we're going to steal the ugly stick and we're going to put it in the middle of the pond at Schiller Woods. And we're going to like, this will be really funny. So I went up to them after the, after the awards ceremony and I was like, Hey, can I see the ugly stick? Like, what's this about? So they kind of gave me the backstory and they were like, well, we, we don't really let anybody else hold it if they're not on our team. Please teach me about your culture surrounding this ugly stick. Well... (laughs) You're foreign to us, but you seem okay. We yeah, bequeath you exactly. the ugly stick. So I earned their trust. They handed me the ugly I've stick. I infiltrated the St. Charles running team. I now run with the pack. I honestly, never they hand me the ugly stick. And then I, I took the ugly stick, and with my whole team behind me, we ran as fast as we could. And we had stunned them. They had no idea we were going to do this, clearly. My coach said she looked up, and the next thing she saw was me darting across the field and behind me were my entire team like 50 60 other high school girls and then behind us another 10 meters were the saint charles girls who had just kind of figured out what was going on we have to get them they're going to mess up the ugly stick i don't know how my coach made it over there but she got there and i had one foot in the water and i had the ugly stick over my head ready to like dig into the the mucky pond and she was like colleen stop right there I was like okay and I just turned around and she's like come back here with that stick you're not Kobe Bryant you're like one of the most uncoachable people <laughs> <laughs> like, like you no but again it's like it's harmless fun right nobody got hurt we actually ended up the next their their coach explained to them like it was just meant to be a joke they were trying to have fun with you guys like light lighten up a little bit have some fun it's not all just about competing you guys are going to see each other every week for the next three weeks at races and uh so the the next week they actually came to us and they like silly stringed our team and so then we had this kind of back and forth like fun rivalry that's yeah. cool. And you said you ran into this, into one of the young ladies in college? Yeah. So actually, um, a woman, a young woman from their team, Tara Moody, actually ran at Colorado, and she was part of the NCAA championship team back mm-hmm. in 2003, I believe. She uh, went on to become a professional runner and actually just moved back from Colorado about a year ago and is running and competing in Chicago. And she has competed on the world team for the half marathon. Wow. She represented USA. And then she also was, I believe, fifth at the Olympic trials in 2008. Mm. So very, very studly marathoner. Um, And then my freshman in college roommate was Carrie. And she and I just randomly kind of got matched up because we had six incoming freshmen and we just paired up based on the fact that we were all running and same age and that's it. So you chose Loyola. Yeah, I mean, it's, I it's a, it's a Chicago institution. It is the only basketball program in the state of Illinois to win a national what? championship. Whoop, whoop, I know you're, you're proud 1963, of that. 1963, baby. Right? I think recently they won a volleyball championship. Two. Two of them? Okay. So I know a little bit about Loyola, but it, it doesn't stand you're welcome. out. Right? Um, so what led to that decision? It was, was it our, our great city? Uh, Loyola was actually, a, it was actually a really great choice at the time. Um, I had a wonderful freshman year in high school for track and cross country. Mm-hmm. I was top 10 in the state for cross country as a f- freshman, which is um, pretty hard to do. And track, unfortunately, I sprained my ankle the night before my state meet race. So I still ran, but I just didn't run that well. Um, summer between my freshman and sophomore year in high school, my dad died in a car accident. It was a, it was a kind of a freak accident. And so 
coming back into my sophomore year, my high school coach said, you know, Colleen, nobody would blame you if you gave up and you never ran ever again, but that's not who you are. And I know you're going to put yourself back out there and it may take a year, it may take five years, but you're going to come back to where you were. Mm -hmm. Just don't give up because I know that's, that's not who you are. Um, and so I definitely struggled. I mean, I, I banged my head against a wall for three years and just kind of running against a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, the ghost of being 10th in cross country and then not doing it again the following year and the the thoughts of just grief and, and my family and trying to gain some perspective on life as a 15-year-old, which is kind yeah. of crazy. Bit heavy, yeah. But well, the summer between my junior and senior year, my mom and I took a road trip for college. I really wanted to go to Tennessee, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, or uh, this really small school in North Carolina that had a great runner at the time on their women's team. And a friend of mine was going to school there. So we did this awesome road trip, looked at these great colleges, which had phenomenal track programs, great half milers coming out of Tennessee year after year. And Kentucky had a really good women's program at the time, and obviously Vanderbilt. But at the end of the day, none of those people wanted to give me scholarship money because... I was so inconsistent in high school. Mm-hmm. And it was Mark Burns at Loyola University who, who called me and said, Colleen, I was just like you. I was inconsistent, but I had talent under there. And someone believed in me, and they grew my talent. And I know if I can get you to be consistent, you'll be one of the best. And so, you know, he offered me a, a small but gracious scholarship. But uh, what I really loved about it wasn't it wasn't the money. It was his excitement. You know, Colleen, you're going to be a pioneer of this program. I'm bringing in five other women who are going to be freshmen who are the same talent level. You know, I raced against them in the conference in high school. They were all really phenomenal runners. And I just kept thinking, well, man, if it's if it's good enough for them, these women who are awesome year after year, then right. certainly I can be a part of this and mm-hmm. I can step up and, and help out and help this team become a nationally recognized program. My coach at the time was like 35 years old. And so he really just like put his whole heart into our team. And it was, it was really fun. You know, he, he really, uh, he just really sold it to me. Yeah. Is there, is there a difference? I mean, to talk a little bit about the the pros and the cons, right? So one could make the argument, you could go to those schools, you can walk on and kind of see what happens. Right? Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I, I actually, after my senior year, I kept running through the summer and I ran some track meets and I actually ran a really fast uh, 1500. And the coach from Kentucky did call me and did say, we want to we wanna offer you some money. And the coach from that small school in North Carolina said, we want to offer you some money. Mm-hmm. But it was too late. You know, I already had someone right. who believed in me when I was at my lowest. And so... My right. heart is already taken. <laughs> yes, I'm gone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if you can have someone believing in you when you're not performing, yeah. that's who oh, you want to have. Yeah, and I mean, so, you're 17 and 18 years old, right? Like, Yeah, I could have walked good. on at those teams, but I think there were a few reasons. Like, number one, my mom made a good point, which is... You know, she had always seen me race every single every single race I ever ran, and she said, "If you go run at those schools, I'm not going to be able to be there. I'm not going to be able to mm-hmm. see you run every meet." You want that? Um, you know, I mean, it was it was still a very volatile time in my life as sure. a teenager and a, um, a losing a parent. But my mom and I were really close, and it wasn't even so much her watching me as me knowing like, am I going to be able to come home for Thanksgiving? Am I going to be able to be there if I'm having a rough week? Loyola kind of offered me the option to get away from home and be an hour away, but still a pretty easy back and forth trip if I really needed to be there. Right. Where did you all go running up there when you were in college? Yeah, we did a lot of miles on the lakefront path. So I know that thing backwards and forwards. And like you were saying before, concrete on the crushed gravel. You know, you were asking before, like, do I have a favorite place or whatever? Mm-hmm. There's parts of that path that I still run through and I can, like, be transported back, back. in time yeah. to, you know, a really great 10-miler or a really terrible workout we had. Mm-hmm. Or every once in a while, we would get a team van and we'd go out to the suburbs. We'd go to yeah. Waterfall Glen and run. They have a really mm-hmm. nice wooded, like, crushed gravel trail out there yeah. that's a 10-mile loop. And they have trails up on the north side. Bussy Woods. But no, mostly we ran on the lakefront path. We did some stuff like at Foster Foster Park over there. Mm-hmm. And then we ran at Montrose on the on the grass there. And then we had actually an indoor track that we trained on in alumni gym. Can't remember what year it was, but a, a guy, a young guy named Eddie Slowakowski was thinking about where to go for college in the 
late 80s, early 90s, he had wanted to look at Loyola, but they didn't have a track at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was like, look, I, I would love to come here, but you don't have a track. And the coach said, if we build you a track, will you come here? And so they had a guy on the team whose dad was an engineer. He built plans. They used bleachers from the basketball court because they were going to replace the wooden bleachers anyway. They tore out the wooden bleachers. They had every guy on that team that summer helping put down the boards on that track. And they built a 120-meter banked indoor track above the basketball court. Wow. It was awesome. You could run around that thing. How good was that guy's grades for them to really <laughs> rip up the resources and lay down something for him to walk upon? So he actually ended up being, you know, multiple-time All-American for Loyola. He was a sub-four-minute miler, which was still pretty rare in that time, mm -hmm. and went on to, you know, run Olympic trials and that sort of thing. So he was definitely one of the kickstarters of a really great generation of, of running at Loyola. There was also his group of friends who had again like multiple all-americans in the 800 the two mile the four by eight relay and that was all on the men's side because at that time mm -hmm. the women's program was still very very new talk a little bit more about that about the the women's program you know your coach rec recruited you in and it was starting a new day for Loyola women's track and field and cross country my coach really wanted our our group to come in and, and kind of, like you said, build a new yeah. build a new program on the women's side. The men's side was, was pretty good because it had been established for a long yeah. time. The women's program, just like most other athletic programs, started when Title IX started. Actually, the coach at the time on the men's side it was Tom Cooney, who owns a local running business here in Chicago called Lakeshore Athletics. They mm -hmm. run the management of all the road races basically in Chicago. He was the head coach at the time and he just decided to start a women. There were like two or three women who said, can we run for you? And it really wasn't typical at the time. And so he kind of did it under the radar and, and I mm. think did a sort of ask for forgiveness, not for permission mm -hmm. sort of thing. And so they would go out and they'd train with the guys and they would race. And then one day the AD found out about it. And that's how the women's program started at Loyola. <laughs> like, These women are so competing you're already under the banner. doing this. Yeah. <laughs> so let's but, here's some jerseys. But the the women's program had a, a woman named Leanne Rank who was an All American 10K mm -hmm. uh, racer, and she was the first All American on the women's side. We didn't have another female All American until late 2000s when uh, a woman named Gina became a second team All American, also in the 10K. Yeah. Uh, could could you could you help give us a glimpse into okay you're a division one scholarship athlete give me like a typical day right sure so yeah you get up at six forty five you put on your sweats and you go to the gym and then you go out for a run at seven with your teammates run till about seven forty five come back have how much ground do you cover in forty five minutes. Probably six miles. Come back and uh, have breakfast in the cafeteria. Yeah. Go back, shower or don't shower. Go to class till about 2.30. Have practice again. How long is practice round two? Usually longer in the afternoon. So it's usually like 2.30 or 3.30 until 5.30 or 6, depending on where you're going. <sighs> Then you, you, so you run. What do you mean, depending on where you're going? Are you running to fucking Milwaukee or something? <laughs> what? Like, well, so in Chicago, right, we don't have trails. So if we needed to go to a trail, we would go outside the city for that. Or okay. we would take, you know, maybe we would run from Loyola to Montrose, which is about three miles. And then we'd do a hill workout there. And that would be another, you know, three or four mile workout. And then you'd run back. But one of my teammates, one of my very close friends, was the first person not to qualify in the 5K indoors. So they take X number of people. She was the first person not to get accepted based on time. And then my fifth year in cross country, our team was the first team also not to get oh. selected for cross country nationals. So we made a we made a really good bid, but did not get selected. So out. Oh. Like what? What is that like as a team? You know, what? How does that feel? Make you feel emotionally? Yeah, it was a really weird year, and I actually, I mean, the team in general. Like I said, we were all you know these six bright-eyed, bushy-tailed freshmen who came in, and we really wanted to change the mm -hmm. the 
face of Loyola Women's Cross Country. And we had a couple of great conference championships and a couple people would have breakthrough years, but we couldn't quite all do it at the same time. And my sophomore year in college, we actually sat down together and it, it, we were supposed to come in for morning practice, but my roommate and I had been up all night going, why can't we break through? Like, what is it that our team cannot get to the next level? We're all good athletes. We're all working hard. We're sacrificing. What is it that is stopping us? And so we called our coach early in the morning and we were like, look, instead of running, we want to sit down with the team and talk about what it's going to take to get to the next level. And he Mm. let us just powwow in the women's locker room and talk about that. And it was kind of one of those things where it's like, if nobody's ever done it, it makes it hard for you to believe that you can. And so that was something that we kind of put in our mindset was Great resolution. we need to be a team of believers that we can achieve at this level, at the national level, despite the fact that Loyola is not a powerhouse in cross yep. country and hasn't been for X number of years. But of course, then the years go on, you get further away from that conversation, someone gets injured, someone has too much fun partying, yeah. and yeah. you know people make choices. Yeah. But by our fifth year, actually, I'm sorry, no, it was my fourth year. It was sort of a funny year, and you have to qualify for cross-country either by being top two in your region or by being selected at large by the governing body. And so the way that you get selected at large if you're not top two is by earning basically points over Mm. the season. And so you compete at certain meets, and in your finish against other teams, you kind of get ranked. Okay, So then they use that ranking list as well as who's injured, who's healthy, how have you guys performed consistently over the year? So well, it's, it's like literally a selection committee. It is. It's a selection committee. And so it's not just based on how fast the individuals run. Correct. Take the fact, oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know so, that. So we had um, raced really poorly at a couple of big meets, and it, it just really hurt us. And I think if we had turned one of those meets around, it would have been a different year. But in September of that year, my brother was actually killed in a car accident, and so... It was just a very weird weird year for me because I had no appetite. I Mm. didn't really care about anything at that time other than my own grief. And so I would literally like go run, practice, walk home, get two slices of stuffed spinach pizza because it was all I could eat and then go to bed and wake up and do it all over again. So, you know, I was sort of a non-present teammate until the very end of the Mm. year. And it was funny because... At the regional meet, we had myself, my teammate Elena, and my teammate Christine, and we all were top 25 in the region, which is really hard to do, mm-hmm. to have three people in the top 25 and not qualify your team. We got third in the region, and like I said, top two go. In every other region, I think five or six teams had been selected. So our region was the only one not to select five deep. Mm. That was a bummer, but I think it gave Elena and Christine definitely a, a lot more fuel for the fire. They came back fitter and stronger in track Mm -hmm. and you just have to keep going forward what changed from college to post-college right that you took it to another level i mean there was some it seemed like there was some built-in competition with someone you could be friendly with and also be competitive what what changed for you you know i think uh in college i just took a lot for granted i just took for granted that i would always run and i'd always have a team and be able to perform Mm -hmm. kind of ask my body to do something it would do it and then i graduated from college and all of a sudden i was on my own I had to work. I had to Life. adult. And there wasn't a team every morning or every afternoon yeah. there to get me out the door. And so I had to do it on my own. So you had to learn how to self-motivate? Yeah. And, you know, I think I just gained a lot more perspective for why I loved having running in my life and how special those times were. You know, I kind of felt like, okay, the time is limited. And so now I have to really take advantage of every day because the years go by so fast. Do you find from your experience at Loyola that there's a certain, I don't know, greediness about a Chicago runner? Is there a certain characteristic that stands out about those type of runners? I think like runners in general just kind of have that attitude because we're a non-revenue generating sport. And so we're always like fighting for attention or not getting attention. And then from there, yeah, you have Chicago and you're training in Chicago. So you're training in the ice, you're training in the rain, mm-hmm. you're training in the snow, and uh, you have to do it year round. And so, yeah, you definitely develop this little like chip on your shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's great because it also makes you, when you go to Florida to race against people who only train and race in warm weather, 
um, that's like a gift that now you get to run in warm weather or maybe they come to Minnesota and it's freezing cold and you're like, "Mm, this is nothing for me, but for them, it's going to be a lot harder and I don't have to adjust. You know, I've been through hard winters training, so I can now do X, Y, Z. What's the coldest you've trained in? What's like the worst conditions you've trained in in the city? I ran for like 20 minutes a couple of years ago when it was the polar vortex and they told people not to go outside. Because it'll freeze your skin. Yeah. So I like bundled up, covered every ounce, every piece of skin that I have except my eyeballs and uh, went running outside. Why? You realize that will freeze too, right? Why? (laughs) (laughs) Just why? It was this, this was enjoyable. I just hate running on a treadmill. I really hate it. And Negative if I, I, 16, on the other hand, Fahrenheit. That, because you run and you get warmer. Yeah, you also sweat. And then sweat will cause you to freeze. Yeah, but until you stop running, you don't realize <laughs> so the how solution cold is you just, are. just run. <laughs> it, there's actually like a, there's a funny dynamic to running when it's cold outside because, like exactly to your point, you are cold when you start. Then you start running. By mile two, you're totally warm. As long as you have the right gear, right? By the end of the first mile, you're warm. So you just have to get through that first mile, no matter how miserable it is. Then you're warm. Then you start sweating. But you don't know you start sweating until you start peeling off the layers later. So you come back. You start peeling off the layers. But it is a very weird sensation because you can't get warm just by taking a shower because the cold is like it's like from the inside out now yeah it's in your bones it's in your bones and so you literally have to like take a hot shower bundle up go crawl under a duvet cover and just like warm yourself up because it takes a good hour to get warm after something like that it's it starts dropping your core your core yeah this whole dynamic of runners like this love-hate relationship i feel like you guys are a bunch of freaks yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, I would say you're freak, you're freaks in a good way, yeah. but no, absolutely. The mindset <laughs> and the determination is what gives you your superpower. I have never regretted going for a run, but I have always regretted not, not going. going for a run. That's unique. That's you cannot profound. come back from a run that was pain free, and you know, no matter how long it was, you cannot come back and go. I would have been better off if I didn't do that. For me, I've noticed when I run, like my creative thought just flows Mm -hmm. and I can also just appreciate things more. Like I can appreciate the sunrise. Like it was awful getting out of bed at 4.30 in the morning to go run. But when the sun came up at 5.30 and I was out there running by myself, it was beautiful. When you're running along the tracks of whatever hours you typically would run at, what are some of the telltale signs you could look at someone and be like, "That's, that's not just someone going for a morning jog, that's someone going... (laughs) <laughs> they're probably the people who are out there and back before you're out there so <laughs> no I mean you know I just I remember like one day I was volunteering up at Misericordia and it was like the dead of winter the middle of December mm-hmm. and I still had to go for my long run but it was dark out and so I like finished volunteering at four o'clock got my running clothes on went out on the lakefront path it was iced over nobody else was out there but I'm like finding a way to get it in and get it done so I could get my 10 miles in and go have pizza with my family you say 10 miles yeah. You're running on ice for 10 miles at 4 in the morning? No, no, no. That was 4 in the afternoon. Four in the, well, but, yeah, you know, still dark. Afternoon. Right. Uh, but 10 miles <laughs> on ice. So, I mean, but seriously, so you're out there running 4 o'clock, whether it be in the morning or at night, over ice. And yeah. so do you see other people out there? They're out there when nobody else is. Okay. You know, we do go out there at 4 in the morning before work. We do go out there at 11 o'clock They're at ninjas. night. Yeah. You don't even see them, but they're out there. <laughs> Quick question about yeah. just professional running. We, we literally feel like slobs <laughs> right now. I'm not even going with that. No, no, I want to understand a little bit of the, the structure of how this works. Because there are other professional um, sure. sports where you're in college and in some sports you're in college and a town scout signs sure. you and you get picked up. There are other times where you work up through minors and the majors. With running, you already mentioned that you were top 20 in the nation where, why, why or why not were you not getting picked up to go compete on the for the globe, uh, whether it's world championships or Olympics? Uh, well, to make the Olympic team, you have to be top three in your event. Um, so even though you were top 20, you had to be top three? Correct. Okay. Yeah. And actually, I don't know if you've ever heard this stat, but making the U.S. track and field Olympic team is the hardest professional team to make in 
professional sports. When you look at the percentage of athletes that make it versus the percentage of athletes that are at the trials, Mm -hmm. it's very, very low. It's easier to make a football team. When you take that also with the fact that running is a low-income sport, you don't get stadiums full of 70,000 people every Saturday going and cheering on track athletes. Once every four years. You get them once every four years. In Europe, it's a little bit better. Mm -hmm. But in the U.S., it's really, it just has not taken hold as a sport. And so you've got shoe companies like Nike, Adidas, New Balance, Saucony, and they are really trying to keep that running revival going and and to sort of reinvent professional running. And I will say, like, thank goodness for technology because Twitter and Facebook Mm -hmm. have really helped professional athletes to be able to put themselves out there and make a name for themselves and brand their own athleticism. So there's, I think there's a couple different things going on in Chicago. And one is um, like a very great community of recreational runners, people who want to get out there to support, whether it's a charity or their own health or do something with their family to be active. And there's a association called CARA, which is the Chicago Area Runners Association. It's a huge, huge association here in Chicago. It's Mm -hmm. been around for a long time. And they do a circuit of races that allows people at any level to really be competitive. And they, at the end of every month, they have like a runner of the month, a runner of the year. It's cool too because it's usually a lot of the same races year after year. So you can go back to the same 10 races and you can try and run your own personal best on that course or you can compare year to year what your points were. (laughs) Yeah. And they do a big banquet at the end of the year and they hand out the athlete of the year and actually your peers sometimes vote on different aspects. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a fun thing. Yeah. Outside of Kara, there's, I'd say there's like a second level competition here for running and those would be like your fleet feet teams mm-hmm. and, um, universal soul used to be here with a team. There's a team, um, out in the suburbs for Naperville Running Company. There's a team for Dick Pond Athletics. There's a team for probably another store or two that I'm, I'm just kind of not thinking about right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have running groups, and they have basically a two-level system where you can join as a recreational runner, and you can pay a fee to get all these services. You can get um, some percentage off of your gear that you buy at the store. You get to go to runs that are coached. And Mm -hmm. then you also usually get a discount at the races that those stores put on. So it's great. You have this Mm built-in community of runners that you can meet up with a couple times a week to get out there and and work towards whatever your goal is. What is, if this is applicable, what is the craziest thing you have seen while you are out on the run? Because I've watched enough episodes of Law & Order to know you've had to have come upon a dead body at some point. Always the joggers <laughs> in the morning. Where did that come from? Tell me you haven't seen an episode of Lawnmower where it's like a jogger was just coming by when she stumbled upon. A wolf. A wolf. Straight up? Yeah. Downtown so, Chicago wolf? No, actually in River Forest at okay. Concordia University. Oh, I can believe that, yeah. Yeah, so you're not too far from Thatcher Woods. And uh, I was out running on the track at dusk. And I, you know, I'm in the mode just going, going, going. And all of a sudden, I come around the curve, and I notice this thing just, like, sitting on the edge of the track. And I'm in lane one, and it's in lane eight, and it's just... You better race them. Oh, my gosh. I came to a dead halt and just... Was it looking, like, looking at you? Face to face? It was just sitting there, hanging out, looking towards the track. Sure, it wasn't a dog? It wasn't a dog. It was not a dog. Wow. So, I walked backwards got away from that thing and decided to go run on a different track (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like the beginning of great rock lyrics though racing the wolf there i was at dawn what i could imagine if you are training and working out in chicago beyond the chip you on your shoulder you're going to have this mentality that you can do anything because you're training in for most of the year half of the year at least pretty horrible environment i mean it definitely transfers over into other parts of your life you know then you feel success here you've gotten through these tough times and like you're saying earlier you've learned certain things from playing sports that have made you who you are and that's exactly the same for running i mean you work out in freezing cold weather and you beat yourself up and run a great workout or run a mediocre workout but it's terrible weather you know that the next time you're going to be able to meet this other goal in your profession or in your family life or whatever it is. I ran against a fucking wolf. This is nothing. (laughs) 
I think it can sort of mess with you a little bit because yeah, yeah no doubt. I think a lot of people they don't come to Chicago to train, right? You go to Portland, you go to Denver or Boulder, you go to somewhere in New Mexico to train at altitude, mm-hmm. Albuquerque or something. But you don't come to Chicago to run. You come to Chicago for other reasons, generally. Like, I came for my yeah. career, and I found a great running group is, is probably yeah. the biggest MO that you hear for yeah. runners, whether they're recreational, sub-elite, elite, professional, whatever. Um, and I think that it can mess with you because running isn't your number one priority, mm-hmm. even though you can do it very well and you do sacrifice a lot and train mm-hmm. a lot. It's not the only thing on the line that day when you race. So you still have a career, you still have a family, you still have this great city that offers you culture and great restaurants and a good nightlife and your family's yeah. here and you yeah. have access to major airport. You know, So it's like you're not living here to run. Uh, you're running here as part of your life. And so it's it's this duality of like, it can be a good thing because mm-hmm. it's not as much pressure, but it also can be a bad thing because you don't put everything else away to train and yeah. Yeah. Um, to race. What do you think is the next big thing that's going to move the Chicago running scene to like the next level? Like what's ha- or, or it could be happening right now and it's just at its infancy stage. Yeah, I think there's definitely some, some grassroots movement in Chicago for a bigger and more professional running scene. Actually, 2016 was the Olympic trials year that we sent the most Illinois athletes to the Olympic trials marathon. Oh yeah. So in years past or Olympic cycles in the past, we've only sent at most three athletes between men and women. And this year we sent nine. Wow. So we sent six women and three men from Illinois. So that's great. I actually right now I'm running for a program out of New Balance and it is sponsored at a at a store level. So it's just the Chicago locations that sponsor us. And we get, you know, uniforms and some shoes and comp races every once in a while and discounts on anything above and beyond what we need. But we also get this team aspect and a professional coach who writes our workouts, talks us through stuff. We meet up every Sunday for long runs. And we sometimes, you know, during the week, people will meet up in smaller groups to get our runs done and really push each other. And most of the people on that team have a goal of making Olympic trials or, or being at a level that is a little bit higher than, you know, your recreational runner or someone who wants to pay 150 bucks to go join a team. The guy who coaches it now is Michael Lucchese. And he basically started it because running had given so much to him. He ran for York High School here in Illinois. Mm-hmm. He ran for Illinois University, uh, or University of Illinois. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the, name, the name sounds familiar. But he also had a you know a elite running career and trained with one of the best coaches in the country. And he wanted to give back to the running community and mm-hmm. really start up a spark for elite running in Chicago. When I was running at a like a semi-professional level post-collegiately, I really struggled to find people to train with. I struggled to find coaches. You know, I I had some amazing coaches, but it was hard to find someone to commit long-term. And it's a a big commitment as a coach. Absolutely. to, to deal with an athlete yeah. day in and day out. He really wanted to start that spark here. And I think that one of the things we really need as a community that is huge is an indoor facility. I mean, we need to have a field house somewhere in Chicago that athletes can train at because what I spend most of my winter doing is begging to get onto an indoor track. And then by the time I get on the indoor track, I'm usually so tired from trying to figure out where I'm going to go and when I'm going to get there. And if I'm working all day and going at night, Mm. it's exhausting. Um, But, you know, we make it work and it's usually a, a group of four or five of us finishing up around 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night and going home and having dinner and trying to get some sleep before we go to work the next day. That's a sac- I mean, that's a, that's a real right. sacrifice, right? You're going to run and you're doing, what are you doing, three to five times a week? Uh, for something like that, it's really once or twice a week on, twice. on an indoor track. But I mean, okay. it's definitely running does, you have to decide, is it going to take time away from your family if you mm-hmm. have one? Or is it going to take time away from your sleep so that you're getting up and out the door before your family's awake and you yeah. don't sacrifice that time? And that's just really a personal thing. What works yeah. for you? Yeah. When I was running and really training at um, a higher level, my son was two and he would come with me to practice and he was awesome. I would pack him his dinner. I would pack him stuff to do and he would hang out on the track and he had a blast. My mom would meet us there. She'd kind of babysit him a little bit 
and it I, was it was so yeah, much yeah. fun. People people can't see me, but I'm shaking my head. I have I have two daughters. My one daughter, I can see doing that. My youngest, there's no fucking way. There's absolutely no way she's sitting still while I'm running around. It just it's just it's it's hard. It's hard to entertain yeah. a two or three or four year old yeah. for. I don't even know how long you're running, an hour, hour and a half. Hour and a half usually, yeah. Yeah, it, I mean, it's very you know, difficult. It's kind of funny because you just, he got so used to it and you yeah. teach things like crossing a track is like crossing a street. You need to look both ways before yeah. you move your feet because you're yeah. going to get run over if you do not look. And <laughs> at two years old, you know, right. he knew to do that. And um, I have yeah. some really great memories of him sitting up there and, yeah. and cheering for me. It just it just sounds like a like a like another sport, you know, when the, the dad is a coach, right, and he brings his kids, or a, a, a woman is a coach. They they bring their kids to practice because they don't have a babysitter, right? And the kid learns all these things from hanging out with these folks, and they just learn different things. Like I've seen videos of your son you've posted on Facebook playing football and all this stuff, and so like being involved in sports is just a part of his life. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned field houses, right? I don't, I don't want to keep you here too long, but field houses, what's out there right now? Like where are people going right now to do this indoor thing you call rutting? What, what, what's out there? Um, you know, a lot of schools have their own private facilities mm-hmm. and they don't want to let, um, the public use it because of insurance reasons, which yep. makes sense. And also their teams are generally using them most mm-hmm. hours of the day, which mm-hmm. is why we can't usually get on before seven thirty at night. Right. So, um, that I, you know, York High School has a really great indoor track, but that's a hike. Yeah, but we're not allowed to use it because it's for their, you know, yeah. private use only. LT yeah. has a really nice track. Hinsdale has a nice track. Yeah, but um, where, where are you actually going? So we're you? going now, still to Proviso West, where everything started. Really? So yeah, we so usually it all comes full circle. Yeah, like wow. uh, once or twice a week, and it's great because now you know we know the security guys who stay and they turn on the lights for us. They change the heating and air conditioning in there based wow. on like how if it's really hot, they'll open doors for us. They are so kind and so generous. Dreaming session. Okay. You have unlimited amounts of funds. You have the right people making the decision. You could you could build one, you could build two, field houses. Where would you build it? In the city, in the Chicago area. How big would it have to be? Is it more than just for like track and field? Is it also is it more than just for track? Is it also for the field? You yeah. know, I don't I don't even know if there are people right. out here actually like competing in pole vault at, at right. an adult. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so unlimited funds. Unlimited funds. I would say let's plant four field houses in Chicago. Let's do one on the south side, one on the west side, one on the north side, and one right in the middle. Wow. Done. <laughs> let's let's um, okay. have it be a, a huge field house, and maybe it can differentiate based on um, what the community says their need is mm-hmm. inside that field house, whether it's basketball courts, soccer fields, a track, um, a field mm-hmm. area for field athletes, a you know indoor batting cages, or mm. um, somewhere to, to throw around a football yeah. and have some some weightlifting facilities or something like that. Somewhere that our local universities can use for their teams because um, we have quite a few urban institutions here who also do not have mm-hmm. facilities. Uh, we could host events, competitions. We could have an after-school program for CPS kids. We could have um, different intra-city tournaments among mm-hmm. the four field houses. That might be kind of fun. Have our own like teams. Four. Yeah. Create create some fun rivalries. Yeah. So has anybody put something together and just presented something like that to the park district? No, not that I'm aware of. I know that not I, I know yet. Not four of them. Not four of them, <laughs> but at least one. Okay. You yeah. Said- so so actually, I mean, I will say, like, Loyola University does not currently have an indoor or an outdoor track. Mm-hmm. That's a f- the outdoor track they have is basically a walking track, but they are able to use it for sprints and for jumps and throws and that sort of thing. But uh, maybe five years ago, they were working with the Chicago Park District to try to come up with a fieldhouse plan that Loyola, I think DePaul, UIC, mm-hmm. and the city would all be able to use. Yep. I don't know why it got turned down. I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of it, but I know that it got put on the back burner. I, um, I would love to go talk to the mayor about doing something like this. 
unlimited funds, but you could only build one, where would you put it? It has to be easily accessible by the L. Then you don't care as long as it's by so the L. So I would say um, it needs to be near public transportation, but mm-hmm. probably the L because the bus can be a little uh, difficult. <laughs> Honestly, because of my own personal investment, I think the West Side would be an awesome place to have it and land that needs to be utilized and revitalized. And there's a community there that could really, really benefit from yep. having somewhere to go. I mean, I think that there is an awesome running community in Chicago. And every year we get to witness it at the Chicago Marathon. Mm-hmm. You see 40,000 people go out there and they run from two hours to five hours. And it doesn't matter how long it takes them. Everybody put in the work to get there. Mm-hmm. And so those are the people who are out there week after week, six months out of the year. And they have their clubs and they have their groups. I think the problem is there isn't one place where they can all come together. And there isn't, like you said, this this audience or this viewership. Um, I would love to see an indoor facility that's like a a bubble in the middle of Chicago where you know, you can have your CPS uh, schools using it. You can have your universities using it. You can have track meets there on the weekends and host the professional athletes. <laughs> yep. um, but I do think that one of the awesome things about running is that you don't need to have a space to do it. You can literally put on your shoes and walk out your door and go achieve whatever you want on your own. You don't need to do it at the same time as anybody else. You don't need a ball. You don't need a court. You don't need a team. You can go out and you can work your butt off and you can tell if you're uh, making progress. Is there like a Chicago area marathoner, runner that I should be aware of? Yeah, absolutely. Give me one or two. Yeah. Her name is Kristen Heckert. She ran for UIC. She's locally grown. She's from Plainfield. She, uh, I knew her in college because I was training post-collegiately and she was training in college. Mm -hmm. And so I would go run at Proviso West at night and her college team was there. So we just knew of each other. Mm -hmm. Um, But after college, she started running for this New Balance team here in Chicago. And she ran a 239 marathon this last weekend in the Chicago Marathon which she was the seventh uh, American, seventh female American across the line. Wow. She's a stud. She qualified for the Olympic trials in the 10K this year, but she chose not to run because she wanted to run a really great marathon. So if there's someone you should watch, I would say it's her. I think she's 26 or 27. Okay. She's up and coming, and she just has an awesome passion for the sport. Mm -hmm. She's also a, uh, I believe, a PhD in math. And teaches full time and coaches at Plainfield High School. So she's pretty. Much. So she's a pretty big stud. But you know, here's here's like a funny thing to know about her, right? Mm-hmm. When she's in a, a real serious training cycle, she runs fifteen hours a week. Hours. That's a lot of hours. I literally, just got a stitch. <laughs> Can you describe the stitch? I don't know what that is. So yeah, so she works full time. So she gets up and runs. You know, two. I know, I know what administrator out in Plainfield. I might have to talk to her. Yeah, no, she's a stud. She took a sabbatical before the um, Olympic trials marathon in February. So uh, that was that was really one of my proudest moments was to see her finish that Olympic trials marathon she got 20 I think 27th in the Olympic trials and uh, I know four years from now she'll be she'll be scratching the top 10 so that'll be really fun to watch her grow Deeper Dish is hosted by Farah and Hank intro mixing editing is done by Alyssa Moxley produced by me Farah our outro was performed by From Beyond These Walls and the song is City of Dystopia. If you want to contact us directly, feel free to contact us at deeperdishshy at gmail.com or on Twitter. Our handle is at deeperdishshy. Our website is www.deeperdishshy.com Thank you all for listening. I really really appreciate everybody that's listening to this podcast.